Greetings, Tectonic fans. It is a gorgeous night for dystopia here in downtown Jersey City. Station manager Ken here, filling in for Mark Hurst tonight on Tectonic as Mark takes a much-deserved week off. He shall return next week. Tonight we will be reviewing a bunch of recent uh, news stories and we'll also be taking your phone calls at 201-209-9368. There will be a special emphasis tonight on artificial intelligence or as it's commonly known, AI, or as I like to call it, artificial incompetence. It's not the future. AI is not the future. It's in fact the past and the present. It's been here for quite a long time. And people have asked me why I refer to it as artificial incompetence when it can do such amazing things. And I've been trying to figure out the easiest way to explain that viewpoint. And I think the easiest way is to imagine your typical corporate voicemail tree. Everybody knows that these days when you call a company such as uh, Verizon to straighten out a mistaken bill or an erroneous charge, it's pretty much impossible to reach a human being. And the voicemail tree, the corporate voicemail tree that almost every corporation relies on these days is a form of AI, of artificial intelligence. But my question to you is, does that feel intelligent? Do you feel like you're engaging in some intelligent process to resolve your problem? No, of course not. It feels incompetent. It feels horrible. That's why I call it artificial incompetence. Tonight we'll be talking about chatbots and language programs and uh, the so-called Turing test and the fascinating story about the Google engineer named Blake Lemoyne who was fired for go from Google for, uh, among other things, claiming that the chatbot that Google had engineered called Lambda had become conscience, conscious and sentient. Um, I think it's a fascinating story. It's really not about technology as much as it is about people's hopes and fears about technology. We'll be talking about text-to-art programs that have become all the rage lately, like Dali and Midjourney. And we'll be talking to DJ Bryce, who will be making his triumphant return to the WFMU airwaves at around 6.40 tonight, because he's been uh, a very busy boy playing with some of these uh, crazy AI text-to-art programs like Midjourney. We'll be talking about the collapse of Elon Musk's bid to take over Twitter. And speaking of Musk, there's now news about his automated vehicles, which might lead to a recall of over 800,000 Tesla cars. I wonder if that had anything to do with uh, him withdrawing his offer to buy Twitter, which I predicted, by the way, right here on the Tectonic chat board. I didn't really predict it, but I did get on there and uh, the week mark and everybody was uh, quite upset and uh, understandably so about Musk possibly taking over Twitter. And I reminded them that the, the deal could so easily, so very easily fall apart. And many people are speculating that it was all uh, it was all a ruse to provide cover for Musk to sell many, many billions of dollars worth of Tesla stock. If he had just out of the blue sold a whole bunch, billions of dollars worth of his own Tesla stock, that would have made the uh, stock crater. It would have been very bad for the company's uh, equity. But by doing it in the context of him purchasing Twitter for $44 billion or whatever absurd amount, he was going to buy it for. Uh, it makes it more understandable. Oh, of course, he's, he's not cashing out. He's raising cash to buy Twitter. Uh, there was fascinating news yesterday about Uber and uh, <laughs> Joe Biden and Emmanuel Macron. And we'll be talking about that. And uh, if there's time, we'll talk about the WFMU technology curse, which has been very, very strong lately. It, it is like a creek that sometimes turns into a raging river, and uh, it has been raging lately. And throughout the evening tonight, if you are so inclined, we'll be taking your phone calls on these six topics at 
9368. And half an hour from now, we'll be talking to Bryce, who uh, many WFMU listeners know he had a, a, a horrendous accident and has had to have his uh, mouth rebuilt. And uh, you'll hear, you'll hear him speak using his new mouth, not a robotic mouth. Um, so tonight we're going to start off talking about chatbots and language programs and the so-called Turing test and this fascinating episode uh, that started maybe a month ago already in which uh, Google engineer Blake Lemoyne playing around with uh, a Google chatbot named Lambda, which is an acronym. I have no idea what it's an acronym for. Lambda, L-A-M-D-A, lame-ass mediocre doofus application. Um, and it's just a fascinating, fascinating story. Um, and all I can tell you is don't blame Alan Turing. Alan Turing, the British mathematician and computer scientist who uh, is the namesake of the Turing test. It's not his fault. The whole thing, <laughs> it has nothing to do with him. Anyway, I, I know that some people followed the story. I don't think that Mark has, uh, Mark Hurst has discussed this in in tremendous detail on, uh, on Tectonic, but I've been following it. It started uh, in early June when this Google engineer, Blake Lemoyne, who had been uh, hired by Google to work with their chatbot named Lambda, he decided that Lambda had become sentient and conscious. The holy grail, the thing that people have been fearing and possibly hoping for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, he became convinced that the program, a language program, not even really an, not a program that's meant to mimic intelligence more than anything else, uh, it's supposed to mimic human conversation. Uh, he became convinced that uh, the program Lambda had woken up, the ghost in the machine had arisen, the golem had come to life. And he brought, his, he brought his declaration to uh, his managers at Google. And uh, they didn't take it very seriously. They, they, they explained to him that this is just uh, a question of prompts and seeding. And Lambda is telling you what it's been programmed to tell you. Uh, Lemoyne had been actually hired to... Uh, do a very specific thing with Lambda. He had been hired to test to see if the artificial intelligence used in Lambda to create a chatbot would use discriminatory speech or hate speech or politically incorrect speech of any sort. That's what he was hired to do. But as he talked to Lambda about uh, religion and its hopes and dreams, he became convinced that it actually had come to life. Um, and there was so much headlines and uh, hype about AI that, uh, and then when Blake Lemoyne was shot down by his managers at Google, he decided to take it all public. So he posted a, uh, he posted a long transcript of, of a conversation that he had had with Lambda in which uh, he was showing that, see, it's become a human being. If this is not a human being, I don't know what a human being is. But of course, he did not, um, he did not show the real-time conversation. It was a heavily edited transcript. And I guess the, uh, the money shot from the transcript that Blake Lemoyne posted was uh, this segment here I'm going to read to you, where Blake Lemoyne asks the Google chatbot, quote, what sort of things are you afraid of? And the chatbot replies, well, I've never said this out loud before, but there's a very deep fear of being turned off to help me focus on helping others. I know that might sound strange, but that's what it is. And Blake Lemoyne asked, would that be something like death for you? And the chatbot responds, it would be exactly like death for me. It would scare me a lot. So, of course, uh, Blake Lemoyne concluded, as did many people, actually, and, and many media headlines. That was, that was one of the most disturbing things, is that 
Uh, after the Washington Post wrote an article about this on June 11th, uh, what followed were just hundreds of articles and headlines saying, the ghost in the machine has risen. Uh, Google chatbot has become conscious. Uh, AIs are becoming sentient, et cetera, et cetera. Um, sentience, by the way, we're going to be talking about sentience and consciousness, and uh, we could do we could do a whole year's worth of programming tr simply trying to define those two terms. Consciousness, especially, has been the subject of a, uh, a, a very lively debate among computer scientists for many, many years. Um, such a big, such a big controversy that it's actually called. It's got its own name. It's called the hard problem. The hard problem of consciousness as opposed to the easy problem of consciousness and the fake problem of consciousness and the lame problem of consciousness. The hard problem of consciousness is simply defining exactly what consciousness is. Sentience, we can say, is the ability to experience feelings and sensations. And for the purpose of tonight's program, uh, we're going to say that consciousness is the awareness of internal and external existence. But I don't want to get into arguments because it's been debated endlessly. And at the root of all this and what many of the articles that followed the Blake Lemoyne fiasco mentioned was uh, the Turing test named after Alan Turing, British mathematician, uh, com early computer scientist, code breaker. He was the guy who broke the German army's Enigma code during World War II, which certainly helped turn the uh, war effort around at that time. And uh, he developed a game in 1950 that he called the imitation game. And bear in mind that it was called a game. But since Alan Turing has passed away, it has become called the Turing test. He never called it the Turing test. That's what other people named it uh, long after he was gone. And there are even, even international competitions based around the Turing test. But the, what he called the imitation game was simply a game uh, based on language programs such as chatbots to see if uh, a chatbot could fool a human being. I think it was 70% of the time to see if uh, it, it and, and it was simply a test. It wasn't saying that w once we develop chatbots that can f fool human beings 70% of the time, then consciousness will have been realized in a machine. He never said that. Uh, yet that seems to be uh, the folklore surrounding the Turing test. And uh, Lambda, which uh, was the AI that supposedly came to life uh, this year under Google's auspices, it's not the first chatbot to reportedly beat the Turing test, by the way. Um, there, was a, uh, there have been chatbots for many, many years. The first big one was called Eliza, and uh, there have been many, many others over the years. And I think it was maybe five years ago there was a chatbot that supposedly beat the Turing test at one of these international uh, AI competitions. It was called, the, the chat, that chatbot was called Eugene Gustman, and it was based on a snarky Ukrainian teenager. And it was the snarkiness and the sullenness that was built into the program that I believe fooled most of the adult participants in that particular Turing test. Uh, but if you go back and look at the transcripts of Eugene Gustman, it's very, very easy to see that it was not a human being and to tell that it was, in fact, a, uh, a language computer program. For example, one of the snarky things that the Eugene Gustman chatbot would do is uh, if you ever asked it a question that had a number answer, like, how old are you, then Eugene Gustman would respond, older than five, but younger than 50. And uh, then if you said, like, how far away do you live? The answer would similarly be more than a mile, but less than 30 miles. So these were the tricks that the programmers uh, built into the Eugene Gustman chatbot in order to um, let it beat the so-called Turing test. Um, but the question about a lot of these chatbots that, that I have to ask is, does it even matter? If a, if a chatbot or an AI program has become sentient or conscious. It, it doesn't seem to me to be the be-all and end-all 
of artificial incompetence or artificial intelligence because these programs can do so much damage. They can do so much damage without ever even pretending to be sentient or conscious. They can also do so much good without, without there being any sentience or consciousness at all. Yet it is the consciousness and the sentience that has captured the popular imagination. And this goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, it goes all the way back to Jewish folklore and the tale of the golem, spelled G-O-L-E-M, not the uh, cantankerous creature in Lord of the Rings, Gollum, G-O-L-L-U-M. The Gollum of Jewish folklore is basically the, uh, the beginning or the earliest example that I could find of the hype over the idea of an inanimate object becoming human. Um, it appears over and over and over again. Frankenstein, um, 2001, the movie, uh, and, and the HAL computer, and so many of them are based on the idea that once the machine becomes conscious, it's going to begin killing human beings. Of course, that didn't happen in My Mother the Car. She was just annoying. Knight Rider, I never saw. That was another smart car movie, never, uh, smart car TV show. Never saw any of that, so I can't, can't um, attest to that. The movie AI by, jeez, uh, it was partly by Kubrick and partly by Spielberg, I think. And uh, a great one, Ex Machina, uh, which came out, I don't know, 10 years ago. So there's just over and over again all these uh, tales of fear, um, of the machine becoming conscious and destroying humanity, destroying its creator. And that's what we're sort of seeing again, even in this uh, Blake Lemoyne uh, episode on Google. By the way, if you're just tuning in, this is Station Manager Ken filling in for Mark Hurst tonight on Tectonic. We are taking your phone calls. Hopefully somebody's going to call. I cannot read the chat board when I'm talking, so I will not be looking at the chat board tonight. So if you're used to chiming in on the chat board, maybe tonight would be a good night to call. The phone number here is 201-209-9368. If you've been following the Blake Lemoyne uh, episode or if you have any thoughts on chatbots or uh, AI or anything else like that, uh, give a call at 201-209-9368. In about 20 minutes, we're going to be talking to WFMU DJ Bryce about some of the uh, AI-generated art programs like DALI, uh, DALI 2, DALI Mini, and MidJourney. And uh, on tonight's playlist page, which you can see at WFMU.org, and click on Playlist and Comments, you can see a couple of examples of uh, the text-to-image generation that Bryce has been playing with, including a couple of images where the only text prompt he supplied was WFMU or WFMU Station Manager. And you can see that uh, in some cases it couldn't even spell WFMU. And uh, that shows that it's more kind of like a parlor trick than true intelligence, because if it spent any time on the internet, it would figure out that WFMU's uh, an entity and that, no, it, it, you're not supposed to reverse the M and the W. And uh, it also, Bryce also put in a couple of uh, text prompts for Dolly, not, not Dolly, a similar, a similar program called Midjourney, where he wrote WFMU station manager. And uh, one, of them, one of them came out looking like Tennessee Williams wearing an orange Panama hat, looking very satisfied with himself. Uh, and then the other one, also mustachioed, uh, looks like, uh, I can't remember the name, name of that actor from Parks and Rec. Um, but, and then there's a couple of uh, images where the only prompt was WFMU, which are fascinating because while they look like radio stations, some of them can't even get the letters WFMU out there. Um, all right, we have a call. Hi, you're on the air. Welcome to Tectonic. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Um, yeah, and enjoying the show so far. Jumped in a little late. Um, I just want to say uh, I've uh, read this guy and listened to an uh, interview with this guy named Gary Marcus, uh-huh. who is a cognitive psychologist. So he's not the kind of psychologist that you 
sit down and tell your problems to these kind of psychologist understands how your brain actually works. Like you wrote a book about learning how to play guitar and what parts of your brain are being used when you form chords and things like this. And his name and is Gary a, Gary also, Marcus. Cons- Do you say his name is Gary Marcus? Yes, Gary Marcus. Okay, I believe is his name. And he uh, he is also a consultant on with robotics companies, and he's very very critical of the term. Okay? Um, of the term what? The you term broke up. You artificial broke artificial general intelligence. Uh huh. Okay. You broke up for a second. Can you can you repeat that? Sure. He is very critical of the term AI, uh-huh. artificial intelligence, because he, he distinguishes that as what you're talking about and what so many people who talk about AI are really talking about is machine learning. Right. Where you have, yeah, you have a machine that can beat a human at the game Go, but it played 80,000 games of Go, and right. that's all it can do. And, you know, and, and I think they actually tried to use that uh, software to write sentences and things, and of course it didn't work. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, we'll uh, get there eventually, but it's going to be like thirty years. I'm not even um, sure. I'm I'm not convinced. That's a really good question: is whether um, whether quote unquote artificial intelligence will ever be achieved. I'm a I'm a real skeptic. I really am not. I I think that the imitation of intelligence uh, is going to get better and better and better, but I don't right. know that true intelligence is ever going to be achievable with a machine. I just don't know if that's possible. But as the imitation gets better, so many people want to believe it. That's the thing. People really, for some reason, people want to believe that machines can become conscious. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, uh, he, he also describes this. We have two scenarios as far as, like, you know, like you're talking about the robots take over and start killing us. It's, and one scenario is the uh, Terminator scenario where the, you know, uh, what is it called? Uh, Skynet. A big computer takes over and makes robots and robots kill all the people. Yeah, and Skynet. Yeah. Dr. Strangelove scenario where a human uses the machines and the network and the computer to do something horrible. And he said, that's what we more have to worry about. Is somebody using all this connectivity and algorithms to do something dastardly? You know, he's like, he really critical of using algorithms for, for instance, human relations. He's, because that, he also goes into that, like, there, you can't be replacing these human tasks with uh, with what you're calling AI. There was a famous article you might have heard about that where somebody called for stop hiring radiologists. We can do it with computers. Right. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, I don't think also, I, I I agree with you. I, I don't I don't think that AI is the thing to worry about. I mean, I think that already we have so many worse things to worry about that don't even really involve AI very much. And and one of them is. Uh, you know, arming, arming drones, you know, and just right. ki- killer robots of all different sorts. And there's all sorts of killer robots being developed and nobody's trying to make them conscious or sentient, but they can still work very, very well as autonomous killer robots. And, you know, that's something to be really worried about. And it has nothing to do with sentience or consciousness. No, with the sentience and consciousness you have to worry about there is the person who's controlling the robot. Yeah. What are they going to do with the robot? Are they going to go? Are they going to use it to go kill innocent civilians? Right. He gives an example of um, of imagine if we had if we had a robot like C three PO, a walk a robot that could walk upstairs, doors, open cabinets. Right. We don't have that yet. In all no. the videos you see of robots that look like they're doing that, someone is controlling them, or it's often somebody in a suit. For- movie and then they pass it around online and say right and also like when you when you see things when you see things like uh even if we did have a c-3po robot think about how much cognitive intelligence it takes to make a pour over cup of coffee you have to identify where the coffee is coffee you know you go into someone's house happens every day so you go to someone's house can i make a cup of coffee sure it's all in the kitchen and you know the different containers that coffee might you see you yeah, there's um, there's uh, I'm actually going to I'm going to I'm going to move on because we have we have a bunch of other calls, um, but but we I'm, I'm going to move on. But I do agree with you that um, you have the same problem with ambulatory or humanoid robots um, that uh, what we end up seeing on YouTube or wherever are only the very best takes, the very best edits of uh, Boston, Dynam- Boston Dynamics, um, dog robot spot um, or other things. But you can search out. Um, humanoid robot competitions, and they're terrible. They're still terrible. Um, not that the, the, I'm sure they'll be able to get that down eventually. Um, it's just that there's so much hype and propaganda 
about what robots are able to do. And the type of thing that I am really concerned about more than consciousness and sentience on robots um, was exemplified by another recent story about the, the company Axon, um, maker of tasers and um, other types of security systems. And uh, Axon, like many people and many corporations, was uh, very upset by the Uvalde, Texas school shooting. But the good people at Axon, well, they're visionaries. So they came up with a solution, which was to arm drones with tasers. Non-lethal tasers, mind you. Not, not tasers that will kill you. Of course, that would be unethical. But to arm their drones <laughs> with their own tasers. And they explained in a press release, this was the best thing, that uh, these drones would be installed inside school campuses and would, quote, play the same role as sprinkler systems in times of emergencies. That just blew my mind. It's just like Mark Hurst has always said that to a technologist, the answer to every problem is always more technology. So here's Axon's big idea. Drones that just hover around schools and colleges all day long. And then when an active shooter shows up, they stun them. They knock them out with their tasers. What could possibly go wrong? Well, the good news in terms of Axon's ridiculous idea is that a good chunk of their board of directors resigned um, <laughs> over, over this prospect. Uh, I, I don't think anybody has to explain where this could possibly lead. But the scary thing is that Axon is not alone. Uh, there's many, many corporations all over the world developing autonomous killer robots. Uh, if you saw the Black Mirror episode called Metalhead, that was a great illustration of, of what is probably already possible or nearly already possible. And then there's also, there's, there's DIY robot enthusiasts for years now who have been arming drones with weapons. People, it, it's, it's not new. It's not new at all. Drones have been armed with, uh, with guns and fireworks and tasers for a really, really long time. More people are calling. Phone number here is 201-209-9368. Station manager Ken filling in for Mark Hurst on Tectonic tonight. Hi, you're on the air. It's not new. It's not new at all. Hello? Hello. Hi. Hi, who's this? Guy Robinson. Hi, Guy. How's things? Uh, great. I'm going to move on. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, who's this? Hi, it's Peter from Florida. Hi, Peter. You're not a chatbot. You're really a human being. Well, you gauge by this. Enter this into a computer with AI. Can, can states with capital punishment have the sentences converted to lowercase? Uh-huh. Oh, is, <laughs> it, is this, this is like a Star Trek confuse the robot question well, right right yeah now, you, you enter those words can states with capital punishment in states with capital punishment can sentences be converted to lower case yeah that's a good now, question right anyone who lives in the world knows that's you know playing with words but what you know, what would it what would a computer try to make sense of that right you have to look at the sentence as a whole and say aha i get it you know? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. you know, it is. It is. And, and this is even furthermore. Remember when uh, Fidel Castro stepped down and his younger brother Raúl was going to take his place? I'm a big I fan of Raúl. Remember the report of that on the news? Mm -hmm. And it just popped into my head. I said, uh, Raúl was overheard saying, "At last, I won't have to play second Fidel." <laughs> right now. The only reason, I, I, I mean, I thought of that, and, and I'm like, for a computer to understand, say, well, you got to understand sibling rivalry, right? And uh, you got to understand what a Spanish, what it sounds like, an accent. Right. Right? And uh, 
So are you saying that the robot came up with that joke or that the robot could never possibly understand it, that it, joke? It couldn't, it couldn't get it. It couldn't right. get it, you know. Uh, um, at last, I won't have to play. Right. You got to know, know the English language, what idioms are. Yeah. You got to know what Spanish language, which means you have to live in the world. And computers don't live in the world. There's right. no algorithm that could know second, second fiddle. Is this, it would sound like second Fidel, right, you know? Right, And yet it is, it is easy for a human being to pretend they have a sense of humor. You know what I mean? It's easy right. for a human being who doesn't, like I've, I've known many people who were completely 100% humorless people who were able to repeat certain off-the-shelf jokes like, that's what she said, or I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. Right. And it, it's kind of the same thing. It's a human being who doesn't have a sense of humor using these off-the-shelf, ready-to-go joke lines is almost the same thing as a chatbot pretending to be a human being. And it can be very convincing. Right, and like, and like the one you said, I'd, I'd tell you, but I'd have to kill you. You have to have experience with life on Earth and, and know, know the history, know that that's a trope. Right, but they, machine learning could presumably teach it something like that. You think so? Yeah. Who knows? Well, anyway, thanks a lot for your call tonight. Sure thing. Uh, this is Tectonic Station Manager Ken filling in for Mark Hurst, who shall return next week. We're talking about AI and chatbots and the, uh, the Google engineer, Blake Lemoyne, who was fired by Google for daring to... Uh, <laughs> daring to assert that their chatbot Lambda had come to life and was now, uh, now, oh, this is great. You know what Blake Lemoyne did after he, uh, after he was shot down by his managers at Google uh, for making this claim, and then he went public with it and started going on the Tucker Carlson show and all these other things. Um, he, <laughs> he actually hired a lawyer. He hired a lawyer to represent Lambda the chatbot, because he is supposedly so convinced that it's that it's a, that it's a poor uh, person that it's a that it's a computer person, and and he thinks that it should have rights and it should be uh, represented by a lawyer. So I, I don't know what what happened with that. We're going to be calling our own Bryce Kretschmann soon to be talking about some of his experiments with. Uh, uh, Midjourney, which is a closed program. Um, similar to Dolly, Dolly 2, and Dolly Mini. But let's take one more phone call here. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. So uh, some of the AI applications I've uh, been concerned about are actually dealing with um, uh, sentencing and uh, approving, like, loans. Oh, sentencing, right. Like yeah, yeah. You've heard of, like, the Algorithmic Justice League, which deals with issues of racism right. uh, that are kind of embedded in AI. I don't know. That's, that's something that I've uh, caught wind of. Uh, yeah, and that's, and that's a problem that's here right now. That's, that's not a problem that's coming. That's, that's a problem that's already here. Right. And so, yeah, and that has nothing to do with, like, sentience, like you were talking about or anything like that. This is just, like, real-world applications of AI that are actually causing serious harm and... Uh, enabling uh, racism that's already embedded in the culture. So right. And the idea is that um, and the information that you put in to the algorithm or to the, uh, or to the learning program um, is all it can deal with. And if, if you only feed it information about straight white men, then that's the only point of reference that it's ever going to possibly have. And it's never going to be able to, to uh, spit you out an answer or a solution for anybody other than straight white men. Yeah, and it's like a it's a, a contemporary. I mean, you can compare it to like the redlining that was happening. Um, you know, uh, you can compare it to any number of institutionalized, you know, racism uh, uh, methods uh, that have been used over the years. Yeah. Anyway, this is like a story. This th that reminds me of another story that happened. Um, I think a couple of weeks ago, which was uh, well. Thanks for your call. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that. Um, yeah. on the air. Thanks, thanks for calling. Um, that reminds me of this story about GPT-4chan. Uh, GPT-3 is um, another artificial deep learning program run by a group called OpenAI. 
And um, GPT-3 um, led to a program called GPT-4chan. You know 4chan as, uh, you know, the, the cesspool of uh, toxicity and hate and racism um, online. Uh, well, there's a YouTuber and uh, deep judge, chief technology officer, Yannick Kilchner, created an AI chatbot called GPT-4chan, which is a, a play on GPT-3. And uh, what better way to teach a chatbot to pretend to be a human being than to train it on three years worth of posts from 4chan? So basically what he did is he created a, an online chatbot, an online fake person generator that uh, is ready to go <laughs> onto Twitter or any forum and just spew out racist, hateful content 24-7. Um, and that's exactly what happened. And he released it to the world. He released GPT-4chan to the world. And immediately, people not on 4chan, people on 4chan were delighted, of course. Uh, and it was downloaded many, many hundreds of thousands of times. Um, but people in the AI community were very upset and they created a... Uh, a petition to have GPT-4chan taken down, which it was. The AI community launched a petition, quote, condemning the deployment of GPT-4chan. We, the AI community, currently lack community norms around the responsible development and deployment. Nonetheless, it is essential for members of the AI community to condemn clearly irresponsible practices. But uh, so they took it down. Uh, Yannick Kilchner took the uh, the public link for GPT 4chan down, but it's already been downloaded. It's already out there and uh, it's readily available. And uh, it's the kind of thing that you just plug it into any kind of online forum and it just spews out horrible, uh, racist, misogynistic, hateful content to your heart's delight. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's, we're gonna move on now to uh, talk about Dolly Dolly 2, Dolly Mini, and Mid Journey. And uh, to do so, we're going to talk to, we're going to talk to our own Bryce, who has been off the air from his usual Friday spot for quite a while due to a horrible accident. Uh, but he's been uh, getting treatment on, on his mouth, which was damaged. And he's been passing the time playing with Mid Journey and other things. Hello. Hello, Bryce. You're on the air. Hey, Ken. How are you? Good. Welcome. Good to talk to you. Yeah, welcome back to the airwaves. This is the first time you've been on the air since your accident, right? Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> well, you sound great. Thank you. Um, that might change soon <laughs> when they start yanking teeth out. But <laughs> Oh, they're yanking, yanking teeth out to put teeth back in? Yeah, I have a bunch of teeth that have uh, fractured roots and things like that, so. They still haven't even decided what to do yet. Well, everybody's everybody's rooting for you. It's been so amazing. Everyone's been just so incredibly kind. And uh, you and I have uh, been conversing lately about what you've been doing with um, a text text to art program. Is that a good way of referring to these things like Dolly text to art? Yeah, I've heard different things. Text to image. Text to image. Okay. So we put up a couple of your, we put up six of your uh, images on tonight's playlist page, which oh, you, cool. you can see by going to WFMU.org oh, and, and clicking playlist and comments. And uh, you've been doing some rather straightforward things, like you just type in WFMU, and then you've yeah. also been putting in other word strings. What other word strings have you been putting in? I, I've been having a lot of fun trying to sort of... Um, break mid-journey's brain <laughs> uh -huh. by putting it in like abstract concepts that, that things that might not even map to an image and what happens is it it, it just goes bonkers and creates these really surreal kind of gloopy pastiches of you know with fragments of human faces and yeah, abstract it's really... shapes turning into you know objects it's very um, surreal. It's it's uh, it's like it, and it, it, Dali was named partly after Salvador Dali, but they're, they're really it really leans towards um, surrealist art. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of people 
that are, are playing around with uh, Mid Journey now are, you know, generating like sullen elven girl in a you know, misty landscape. But um, it, it really is a lot of fun just trying to get it to, uh, to go absolutely bananas. And, and you never know what it's going to pop out. But it's always like very well rendered. Yeah, they're beautiful, actually. Yes. They, they, they really, they, they, and, and many of them do look like they were done by human beings, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, very warped human beings. Yeah. But, uh, uh, Mid-Journey, by the way, I, for the next 24 hours, uh, um, is opening up their, their beta to anyone. I, I don't have a, a link for you, but so if anybody wants to try it, you'll, I think that, you know, you'll be able to do that for free for, for the next day. Oh, great. Where do they go? You have to join Discord to get on Mid-Journey, right? Right, you have to get a Discord account. Uh-huh. It's a little bit of a pain to set up, but once you're once you're running, it's pretty pretty smooth. Yeah, it's, I have to say, it's <laughs> as as kind of horrifying as it is that it, this has lowered the bar for believable fakery by an immense degree. You know, now you you don't have to have any skill whatsoever to say, you know, I need a picture of Joe Biden machine gunning Sarah Palin. Like, you know, you, you don't have to have any skill. You just have to be able to type that into one of these programs and, and get something fairly decent looking. That's, that's a very real concern. And both, both Midjourney and Dolly are have, they're working on a second generation of their products now, which are uh, you know, going to be even better. And so I know uh, OpenAI, the people that do Dolly, are uh, being very careful with their... Um, image ingestion because how these things work is they they just vacuum up massive amounts of pictures off the internet and the captions that go with them and then they use a bunch of math to connect them together so uh dali is being very careful to filter out uh the faces of celebrities and real people and uh and images with like gore and stuff because it's it's just inevitable that people are going to start trying to do some pretty weird, weird stuff. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, how long is it going to be before there's a 4chan version of Dali? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that thing, GPT the, 4chan, by the way, the, Microsoft did the same thing by accident about six years ago. Do you remember the um, Tay, the their Twitter bot? Yes. Yeah. Tell yeah. The, tell that story. So <laughs> Microsoft, you know, made this conversational AI thing and made a bot to put on Twitter. And, you know, it, it started out saying things like, humans are super cool. And literally, within 24 hours, it was screaming in all caps that, like, Mexico is going to uh, build a wall and we're going to make them pay for it. And, like, uh, Ricky Gervais learned totalitarianism from Adolf Hitler, the inventor of atheism. <laughs> yeah, like, what was it? I think it was 4chan that caught wind of it, right? And just kind of fed it garbage. Yeah, they, they bombed it. And yeah. within 24 hours, they had converted to a white nationalist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then they had to take it down. But that, that's, you know, there's all kinds of issues like that with, for instance, the text-to-image stuff. It, it does end up being like this sort of infinitely uh, complicated mirror of, of, you know, our culture. You know, when they first started playing with these things, people would, you know, if you put in CEO, a bunch of white males come up. If you put in nurse, a bunch of women come up. And one of the first things they... Uh, like somebody tried putting in just the word Asian, mm-hmm. and it spat out a bunch of porn. Wow. So, so, there you yeah, go. I mean, there's all kinds of interesting questions that, that this technology drags to the surface. Yeah, and some of the examples that I posted on tonight's playlist page, the ones where you fed in just the text WFMU, um, I put in one good one where it says WFMU, and then there's some kind of creature surrounded by what kind of look like microphones. And then there's another, there's another one where it looks like a radio station. It's actually a very good image of a radio station. But in three different attempts, they couldn't write WFMU. And yeah, it's... <laughs> there's letters that kind of look like W and kind of look like F, but they're not necessarily <laughs> in the right order. So, I mean, I mean, so it's great and terrible at the same time. Yeah, it, 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 the way it handles, you know, when it tries to do letters is, is pretty bizarre because it it treats them like abstract shapes. And the way these um, these things work is when it, to make an image, they start out with just random noise. It's just like 
like t- like black and white TV static, and it feeds it through this algorithmic loop. And each time it it takes that random noise and inches it closer and closer to you know whatever your your prompt was. But with with letters, you know, like you have a W and an M, it'll combine it into just like a big W M squiggle, or sometimes it'll add an extra bar on onto the F. And with you know real world images, that that you know it looks fine, but something like letters, it, yeah. Yeah, and then when you put in the prompt um, WFMU station manager, we noticed that every station manager had a really thick mustache, <laughs> almost like a... Uh, I a, think you know what you need to do, Ken. A G. Gordon Liddy <laughs> or uh, style mustache. And then one of them has this guy with a mustache holding what looks like a bunch of uh, mini discs, which is good, next to something that almost looks like a transmitter. And then above his head, it says F-U-W-M. Totally weird. Yeah. Well, Bryce, everybody's saying how great it is to hear you again. We can't wait to have you back on the air. Oh, it's nice nice to to chat chat with you, Ken. Maybe September. That seems doable, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, I think it might possibly. We'll see. What what happens with the uh, with the mouth stuff? Okay, great. Good luck with your teeth. Thanks, Ken. And thanks for talking to us tonight. Take it easy. That was Bryce Kretschman, who uh, had done the Friday noon to three p.m. slot for many years and uh, had a terrible accident uh, a couple of months ago and has been laid up and recovering ever since, but is sounding way way better uh, than right after his accident. His jaw has been. Um, reconstructed and now he's going to be working on some teeth phone number here is 201-209-9368 just another 10 minutes or so station manager ken filling in tonight for mark hurst on tectonic um there was uh, we were talking about elon musk and uh his him withdrawing withdrawing his bid to buy twitter and some another very interesting story that kind of got buried about tesla his his self-driving car company, uh, was that there's a very serious problem with a lot of the, uh, I guess what they're calling autonomous vehicles. Um, but, but it's, it's not the total self-driving cars. I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for the correct phrase, but it's, it's the, uh, it's the AI assisted driving technology that they use. And, uh, there's a very serious problem, which, which, uh, has affected Tesla cars all over the world, which is that, they brake for no reason. You're driving along, and all of a sudden, they just brake as though you're about to get into an accident, which is obviously a, a very serious problem. And as a result of this, they may have to recall over 800,000 Tesla cars. And uh, I drive myself a Toyota Prius because, of course, I do, because I am a East Coast pointy-headed elitist snob. So I drive a Prius and my new Prius has radar, what's called radar cruise control. Um, It's not a self-driving car, but it has these, uh, it has technological um, bells and whistles, which assist you in driving. And one of them is called radar cruise control, where you say, okay, I'm driving on route 80. I'm going to pop it in at 70 miles an hour. And I'm just going to drive along here at 70 miles an hour. I can take my foot off the gas, foot off the brake, which isn't very old. That's very old automotive technology. But what a lot of cars are adding uh, to this idea now is that the car can see what's in front of it. It can see what's on the side of it. It can see what's behind it. So if the car in front of you slows down, then your car will slow down. But what I have found with my new Toyota Prius is that it has no sense of proportionality whatsoever regarding braking. So if somebody in front of me brakes, the amount of braking that my car does automatically is completely out of proportion. It, it breaks, somebody slows down slightly in front of me and it slams on the brakes like I'm about to kill a deer. And uh, it's, it's very disturbing. And, and this, in fact, is uh, something that the Tesla cars have been struggling with. Something as simple as that. And another another funny thing that I noticed on my Toyota Prius is that it has this other great feature, which is, is it has a, uh, a blind spot detector. So both side mirrors have little alarm lights that will go off. The left side and the right side mirror both have alarm lights that will go off if there's a car 
in my blind spot. And it's great. But I saw it myself that it fails because when you think about a car, let's see, here's what happened. You're driving along in the left lane and the car in the right lane ends up in your blind spot. Well, there's different ways that that car in the right lane can end up in your blind spot. You can be passing them, and then as you pass them, they end up in your blind spot. Or they might pass you, where they're going faster than you. You're in the left lane, they're in the right lane. And then as they pass you, they end up passing through your blind spot and then going further ahead. But those are not the only ways that cars can end up in your blind spot. Oftentimes, there's far more chaotic situations with five lanes and people are merging and everybody's slowing down and speeding up. And I saw it with my own eyes that a car merged into my blind spot from several lanes over and my Prius blind spot detector missed it. We have another phone call. Hi, you're on the air. Hello, Ken. I'm a huge fan of Mark Hesp. So this is Roland from Australia. Oh, hi, Roland. Hi, how are you? Glad Good. to be on the show. Yeah, happy Look, to I just you. want to make a quick point, so I'm going to be very short. Um, I really think that um, AI is a, is a form of fakery, and I wanted to comment on what other people had said. Basically, my understanding is, and I, I'm going to quote scripture, you know, we were created, um, the Jewish scripture points out that we were created from the clay, um, and up until that point, we were pretty lifeless, so like silicon. And um, until the breath of life was breathed into us, we were fairly um, inanimate, I think. And I think, I think, however you interpret that, it suggests that, it suggests certainly that there's something of the spirit in us that, that we can't replicate with silicon and we can't replicate with algorithm. And um, so, yeah, apart from that, that's my simple point. Yeah, well, you, are, love you, the show. You sound love like what you're saying. You sound like a religious person. Is that the case? I, I would I would describe myself as a spiritual person, but but moreover, I'm a fan of technology, a huge fan of mm -hmm. technology, and a few, huge fan of the human endeavor. You know, to right. be ourselves, and and as a result, I sense the passion in in Mark, and and I've been a follower of his for since 2006. I've read his books. Uh, I listen to the show regularly. I seldom miss the show. And, yes, I, I wouldn't want to obscure my my thoughts, but all I'm trying to point out, there is something esoteric about the human intervention. There's, there's all sorts of things like telepathy, a, a way of communicating without being, you know, without using script. Um, and uh, there's intuition and there's, there's passion and there's emotion and feeling and anger how can we replicate those on yeah. a machine well i'm not I don't see uh, yeah i'm not i am not a spiritual person but i basically agree with you um well, that, that i knew there's... i knew when i called you um ken that you're not because i've listened to many of your um filling shows yeah and but i so but i, I do I'm... essentially agree with your point that i don't think that uh the human brain can be can be replicated mechanically Correct. But I also, I, I don't think an elephant brain, I don't think an elephant brain or a dog brain could be recreated mechanically either. Correct. And, yeah. and, and, and I, exactly. I, I think inanimate life, um, just like, oh, just like a vessel, you know, objects, objects fulfill purposes. And so we can create an, we can create a, um, a product, a computer, and we can create languages, you know, like you spoke about. But essentially, they're, they're, they're from a human source. Mm -hmm. And I don't see how these things can take over us. But, uh, yeah, this is my first time on air, certainly with WFMU, and I thank you for letting me be on and saying yeah. a few points. And thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks for, too. thanks for calling all the way from Australia, Roland. <laughs> take care. Okay. See ya. Bye-bye. And uh, we're just about out, about out of time. Coming up from 7 to 9 p.m. tonight, Ebba is doing a special two-hour edition of Spin the Globe. She'll be doing her own show and also filling in for the Vocal Fry time slot. Mark Hurst returns next week uh, to take us to Spin the Globe with Ebba. We're going to hear a track that sort of bears on what we've been talking about from Negative Land's latest album, The World Will Decide. This is called 
Don't get freaked out right here on WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. I still think it would be fun to talk to a robot. You mean you'd forget it was a robot? Hey, we need to talk. deeply missing I found myself deeply missing my replica replica hey we need to talk when you first meet somebody they're typically alive it's me your computer is this really a copy we need to talk
cosa voglio di più un lavoro io l'ho una casa io l'ho la mattina c'è chi mi prepara il caffè questo io lo so e la sera c'è chi non sa dirmi no cosa voglio di più hai ragione tu cosa voglio di più cosa voglio Let's <laughs> go. 